We're not preaching through a series or a book or anything like that. So what do I do? Well, I thought very hard about what Ben said last week, what he spoke to us about, and um, I think most were challenged by what he said. We were challenged, and in a moment I'll explain what the challenge was, because I know there are some people here today who weren't here last week, and uh, through no fault of their own, but I just want to give some continuity to that. I don't want to stitch it on the back of what Ben said, but I think what he said was important. Um, he, he applied it personally and he also applied it to the church. What did he apply personally and to the church? Well, he said, his was a personal testimony, and he really said, the older I get, the more I realise how much I need to press into God, you know, to know the fullness of God's presence and the fullness of the Holy Spirit in my life and to know God's power at work in me. He didn't, and he did qualify, but he said, I don't mean I had to try and do better to please God because all my life is taken care of by the cross of Jesus. When Jesus died, he died for all our sin, for all that we should ever have been, for God, he dealt with it when he died on the cross. My sin is dealt with, my life is dealt with, I'm actually given salvation because of what he did for me at the cross. The Bible tells us, and we're just about the Bible this morning, that God raised Jesus from the dead. Death had no hold over him, and because Jesus was raised from the dead, we can live with that expectancy too, that even if our body dies, we can look forward to the resurrection of the dead. So he qualified it in the Gospel and the different things that he said. But where we go from the time that we become a Christian is quite important. Do we just leave it? And I just want to challenge you this morning, do you actually know that you're a Christian? Are you certain in your heart that God has dealt with your life? Every one of us will be raised from the dead if we die. The Bible tells us it's appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. Quite solemn word, isn't it? And what will we do when we stand face to face with God? What will your answer be? Will it be, I've tried my best? don't think that will do. That's right, I'm going to cut the story short because there's only one thing that God will accept of us is if we've accepted his son, Jesus, and what he did for us at the cross. That's basically simply gospel message. This earth was created perfect and sin came in, and sin's still here. It's made an awful mess of this world, and we still help that along by the things we do. But God has dealt with it through Jesus. That's why we... And you may not have understood all the things we said, sung this morning by the songs we sung. It's poetical sometimes, and we sing things we don't understand. Sometimes we sing things which we 
have no intention of keeping sometimes, but that's the way songs are written. But it's giving us a point to work, work forward to to follow Jesus in our songs. But where was Ben last week? He said the older he got, he needed to stir himself and press into God more. And for that he gave us a verse from the Old Testament saying this. He said, we're all familiar, or most of us are familiar with a verse that goes like this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And he said, they're wonderful. A lot of people stop there with that wonderful promise from God. God wants to bless us and that's absolutely true. But he said, sometimes we don't go on to read then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He took that verse as a backdrop, when you seek me with all your heart. And so he was applying it to himself personally. He said, the older I get, I realise I really need to seek God with all my heart. He went on to go and speak about God's action and our responsibility. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. The chapter that I want to speak about this morning is 1 Corinthians 12, which talks about spiritual gifts, but we'll get there in a minute, because I came across a passage in Luke's Gospel which I want to refer to before I do that. God's action when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and Steve referred to it in his prayer this morning. The Holy Spirit came, God's action. It came, they were just, and I read it this morning, they were sitting there. (laughs) God had told them to wait, Jesus had told them to wait, go and wait for the Holy Spirit and they did that. And when they were sitting there, the Holy Spirit came on them. It's like a violent wind and the place was shaken and uh, they were able to speak in tongues. They were out to actually communicate in a supernatural way. Now I hear some people say that um, it was the strangers in Jerusalem, the foreigners in Jerusalem, who actually heard in their own language. And that is true, and they emphasise that point. I hear some other people say they actually spoke in the different languages and I understood that too. And, um, but if you read the story it tells us that both happened. Both happened. And so the emphasis relies on God's action. God came that day so that, and the bottom line is, so that the people would hear the wonderful works of God. Really that's about our coming together this morning, so that we hear and know the wonderful works of God. That's what we revel in, that's why we worship. Because the coming of Jesus and what he's done for us is a wonderful, amazing work of God. And so he challenged us with actually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, he explained it by using different verses about being thirsty, being thirsty for God and being hungry for God. Are we actually hungry for more of God 
are we actually hungry for God? And um, I posed that to my question, my, to myself, that question to myself. And we went away with this challenge, how much do you ask the Holy, for the Holy Spirit? And so I went away and um, most days of this week I've asked for the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, did anybody do it because Ben said it last week? Fred, yeah, a few, few nods around here. I think we felt the impact, <coughs> the impact was that if we ask for more of the Spirit, we will receive from God. We will receive from God. And I expect you're like me. You asked Monday and wondered um, what more of the Holy Spirit you actually had. And so Tuesday you asked, I thought, I must keep faithful to this and ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Um, by the time Wednesday comes, you start scratching your head and you say, well, is anything going to happen, you see? And so time Thursday comes, maybe you'll miss a day. And the time Friday comes. But who's pressed in? I can't say honestly that I pressed in to what Ben said on Sunday. But I am going to do that now before we go any further. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit, shall we? Father, we, we're told that it's recorded that Jesus said that we could ask for the Holy Spirit. He says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me. We are thirsty, Lord. We are hungry spiritually in this world. And even here this morning, we would own our sense of need before you. That we need something from you that we can't work up ourselves, that we can't get anywhere else but only coming to you and asking. And we come asking, Lord, this morning. We ask for your Holy Spirit so that we might be the people we ought to be and do the works that you call us to do so that we might enter into the understanding and the confidence and the knowledge that you saved us and that you have a purpose for this earth and a purpose for eternity. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have to take, take your Bibles and turn to Luke 11. One of the verses that uh, Ben gave to us last week actually came from Man- Matthew, Matthew's version of this. Luke 11 and verse 1. And I read something this morning that I've not appreciated before. You may have appreciated it, but I hadn't appreciated it before and I'll tell you that about that in a moment. Luke 11 verse 1 One day Jesus was praying in a certain place when he finished one of his disciples said to him Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them when you pray say Father hallowed be your name your kingdom come Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them. There's a continuity here. They'd asked Jesus to teach them how to pray and that in itself is such a wonderful prayer. We're not here to look at that this morning but it was what comes afterwards here. Then he said to them. 
And I think this reflects a lot of what Ben was saying last week. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And it's that little line now, I just want to just halt at the moment. Ben said to us, he said, sometimes we feel dry and thirsty, we feel that we have nothing to offer someone else, a friend in need or a person that we meet and it's that sense of need. He says, I have nothing to set before them and that's very often the place of a Christian when he wants to serve God or do the works of God or to hear what God is, I have nothing to set before them. Our great sense of need. We feel so inadequate sometimes as we come to serve God and to even be the person in church that God wants me to be. I have nothing to set before them. And last week, as Ben said to us, you know, we feel dry and thirsty. He said we need to ask God for his Holy Spirit. So let's read on. Then the one inside the door, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. That's a rebuff, isn't it, almost? He's supposed to be his friend. He says, I can't get up and give you anything. And yet Jesus is given this parable to reflect God's reaction sometimes to our praying. Why does he do that? You know, in order to gain the best from God sometimes, he sometimes pushes us further away so that we might press back again. Jesus told the parable, or the story, not a parable or a story, it was the woman who came to him wasn't it? She asked Jesus for something and he said, uh, it's not meant for you. And then she came back at him and she said, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. There's that pressing in. She wasn't turned away by God's almost hand say, hey, hang on a minute. So when we ask God sometimes, he always doesn't give us what we're asking for, but he does answer. He answers some way. I tell you, said Jesus, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now the man came and he asked for three loaves of bread. He asked for three loaves of bread. It's almost as he put a limitation on what he wanted and what he needed to feed his friend when he came. And sometimes we ask God for things in a limited way and we almost spell it out to God what we want. But you know, what we read there is that the friend he goes to because he will give him as much as he needs. 
he gives him as much as he needs. So the limitation he put it is superseded by the extravagance of his friend giving to him. Now a man who says, go away, don't bother me, and then gives him as much as he needs, there's a sort of a consistency there and an inconsistency there, isn't there? You know? But that's the heart of God. He gives us as much as we need. And so has Ben challenged us to ask for God's Holy Spirit. This story, what Jesus said, really unfolds that a little bit. Verse 9. And so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And just to pause there a moment, all my years of listening to Bible teaching, I've always, it's always been taught in this fashion, you know, that um, prayer needs to be strong, that we ask, we seek, we knock. There's three repetitions there, and we don't believe in repetitive prayer, do we? But, each one's a different level, isn't it? As an asking and seeking and knocking. So all my life, I've always looked at that as a challenge to praying more earnestly and pressing in to God. And that's true. That's absolutely right. Praying should be developed in our life as a closer communication with God, a greater relationship with him, to know our God and to see what he wants. But then Jesus hadn't finished his story because it's related to the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So it's complete, isn't it? The challenge to ask, to seek and to knock was in the context of asking for God's Holy Spirit. And I thought that's a wonderful parable that underlines what Ben, the little story of what Ben was underlining. So the disciples come to ask, he teaches to pray and he teaches them in a wonderful, powerful way how to pray but he taught them one more important thing to ask for and that was to ask for the Holy Spirit. And so we may come to God in a limited way, but like that friend, he will get up and he will give him as much as he needs. And so, Father, we ask you this morning, you will give us all, each of us, as much as we need. Now, we should translate a little bit into church, and if you could turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, which is a passage which Paul deals with in the Corinthian church, speaking about spiritual gifts. Because as we press into God, and as we ask for more of God's Holy Spirit, I'm sure that we're going to be faced with the supernatural, we're going to be faced with things which are outside of our own ability, we're going to be faced 
you know we're doing things as a church which actually mark it as an authentic church. These are marks of an authentic church. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I'll explain that. This passage in my Bible is headed spiritual gifts. Apparently, the Corinthians had written to Paul and asked him about different things. And one of the things that they'd written to him and asked him about was about spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? Essentially, what is the character of spiritual gifts? The character of spiritual gifts is that, first of all, they're special. They're special because they're God-given, and God gives lots of gifts. These are unique because they're in the context of the church, and they're outside of our own ability to do. They're special. They're also supernatural. This is the thing that many don't understand, is the supernatural. And there are many churches. I mean, this church which I belonged to many years ago, um, there was nothing supernatural here at all. In fact, as I was reading the history yesterday of charismatic gifts and tongue-speaking, quite a long one, if you go on the website and read about it, it said, in the Brethren churches there's no evidence of speaking in tongues. That short line like that. And there's about six pages for all the others. Each of them. That was the only record of the one. But in other sorts of churches and groups and convents and monks and nuns, there's been evidence of speaking in tongues, charismatic things happening, supernatural things happening. Whether they're good or evil is another thing, but they were supernatural. They were recognised by people as being something outside of themselves, and they were supernatural. And the Bible clearly tells us that as Christians, as churches, spiritual things will be counterfeited. Now, Satan will never counterfeit anything which is not powerful and wonderful in its right context, in its right situation. So, when Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, he's talking about something which should be evidenced in the church, but the chance of it being counterfeited is more than highly likely because Satan is out to destroy the work of God. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, there will be false prophets deceiving many, there will be signs and wonders which will deceive many, but they're not of God. What does that say to us? Do we stop pursuing this line of spiritual gifts and special supernatural endowments? No, we don't. As Ben said last week, we press in and we ask for the Holy Spirit. We ask more for more of the Holy Spirit. My journey, my personal journey, Ben gave his personal journey last week, it's my personal uh, journey this week. One of the supernatural gifts that's, that, that's uh, talked about in this passage, and we'll see it in a minute, is what the Bible talks about speaking in tongues. Now, I'm not a researcher, I'm not a theologian, I'm not, um, I'm not a studier really. I, that's not, just not me. 
um, technical things, yeah, it's fine. So my journey with supernatural things, spiritual gifts and tongues, has been very slow, but has brought me to a place of actually God saying to me, now look, <laughs> it's me, yeah, okay. First of all, um, I, I never spoke in tongues, but just one day while I was sitting in my, uh, in my room praying and reading the scriptures, um, my praying just changed, just like that. There's no flashing lights, nothing at all like that, no dramatic shaking and violent winds or anything like that. And I knew it wasn't me, but I knew that God was giving me something. I couldn't, my father spoke gibberish, and people used to laugh at him. We, when we had the residential home, we had lots of staff and lots of old ladies in the home, he used to speak gibberish out loud, and it wasn't speaking in tongues. Everybody knew that. He was just getting excited when he was making the tea, and so he was, he was an excitable man. He just spoke gibberish. I knew the difference. So when it happened to me, I thought, this is not gibberish. Lord, this is not gibberish. This is, uh, this is come from you, thank you. And it was just as simple as that. It just changed from one moment to another. And so, um, I just believed that to be true. History, and I believe history records a sadness about rejection of spiritual gifts and charismatic things in the church because of the danger of the counterfeit. I believe that to be true. It doesn't mean to say we just leave it. St. Augustine said, no one in the church expected tongues and manifestations of the Spirit any longer. Chrysostom, one type bishop of Constantinople, wrote a comment on 1 Corinthians 12. This whole place is very obscure, but the obscurity is produced by our ignorance of the facts referred to and by their cessation. Being such then as used to occur, but no longer take place. So what am I doing this morning? I'm just reading scripture. I'm just going to read this through and I'm just going to say one or two things as I see them. And at the end of it, we may have a few minutes just to have the opportunity to say, Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit. That's all we were asked to do last week, to ask for more of his Holy Spirit. Wesley, whilst not having manifestations of the Spirit in charismatic way, believed that the gifts of the Spirit had practically disappeared, but that it fitted a restored church. It fitted a restored church. That's Wesley's experience. There is no record that Wesley spoke in tongues, but explained that God imparted his gifts as he chose, whilst to his contemporaries, not to himself. And I think that's a correct way of coming to it, isn't it? We may not sometimes experience it, but we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. 1 Corinthians 12, now. So Paul's referring to what was written to him, now. 
it's come to a point, it changes direction, it says now about spiritual gifts. Spiritual tells us, and um, I look into books and I find what I read, I find that when it's talking about spiritual, he's, I've already said this but I'm going to repeat it, first of all they're special and secondly they're supernatural. Spiritual gifts, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now that's quite an important phrase because A, in, uh, in, in the language sort of the, the original, it's a double negative. And it says, I don't want you not to know about spiritual gifts. There's not a lot of difference, but it actually enforces the point. I don't want you not to know, he said. I want you to know. The fact... I'll get to it in a minute. As we break down the passage, I don't want you not to know... And it was this, I don't want you to ignore through disinclination. I don't want you to ignore through disinclination. And that just, to me, because I'd been brought up with a teaching that spiritual gifts had ceased, um, I ignored them through disinclination. I wasn't inclined to look into them because I was being, had been taught otherwise. You get the point. There wasn't that I was, had been taught that we had, I had all I needed. I had taught that the church had all it needed. And so it was ignored through disinclination. And so Paul is saying, because you tend to ignore through disinclination, I don't want you not to know about spiritual gifts. So it really enforces the point to us, doesn't it? I do, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. What influences our life? And so Paul takes them back and he's really having in his mind what's actually bringing these people to what they do and what they say, you know, about what they say. And of course the, the larger genre of the book is that there's disorder in this church and they're doing things in the wrong way. And so he goes back to what they were. You were led astray by dumb idols. In other words, you know, they did more what they chose to do and what they thought was right in their mind rather than being guided by the Holy Spirit of God. But now they had come to Christ, they'd actually got a firm foundation in their lives and they actually could allow the Holy Spirit to lead them and to give to them things that they'd never done before. So Christ gave them a firm foundation. Therefore I tell you, in verse 3, therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except 
by the Holy Spirit. And it's almost a test phrase, isn't it? You know, nobody who's being led by the Spirit of God is going to say, Jesus is, oh, get him out of the way. We won't have anything to do with him. He's just a false prophet. He's just no value here, which is the way that the Jews treated him. So if the hierarchy of the Jews saw someone who was false and didn't comply, they would cast judgment on him. And so what he's saying is no one by speaking by the Spirit of God can say Jesus is cursed or we won't have anything to do with, do with Jesus because when we have the Holy Spirit within us, he actually takes us to the importance of Jesus in our lives and in every situation. But it also goes on to say, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit leads us to a place of appreciating who Jesus is and what he's done for us. But also he drives us on to a committed life where we own Jesus Christ as Lord in our lives. And that's almost a test phrase, isn't it? And so as these people, so some of these gifts are speaking gifts, a lot of them are speaking gifts. And Paul is saying, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but hear what they're saying. Because I don't want you not to know about these things because they're important in the context of the church. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Let's read on. Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working but the same God works. And there you, you have the operation of the Trinity there in the church in different ways. It's wonderful, isn't it? But the same God works all of them in all men collectively. Now you won't find that word in your Bibles but it means that that God is working collectively with the church. So the context is not alone, not stand alone, not in your own ministry but collectively God works in the church with spiritual gifts. Not for isolated ministry but a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power in the context of the body because as we read on it talks about the body of Christ. So it's a collective thing. Now verse 7, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And there you have the idea of the body again, the common good. It's not for my good, these are for the common good. These special supernatural things are for the common good not necessarily for my own benefit, although I derive much out of them. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. How does the Holy Spirit manifest himself? If we believe in the Holy Spirit of God, how does he manifest himself in the authentic church? Precisely the way we're looking at here now. It's by spiritual gifts. If we believe in the Holy Spirit, we will believe that there is a manifestation, a telling out of the authenticity of church life.
How do I know? Because these things will be amongst God's people. That's unless you believe the cessation theory. As Paul goes on to talk about later, talking about the things which pass away when the perfect has come. Now, if you believe the perfect has come now, I think you're a better man than I am, woman than I am. I don't think perfection's here yet, but they claimed it to be the completed canon of scripture, these books that are here. And I'd thought about this hard and very long, you know, whether that's true. And in my own simple conclusion, I, I, I just can't believe that that's right. Yeah, the word, we might call this book perfect. I don't think it's the word I put on it myself. But it talks about when perfection comes. And in that phrase, it talks about face to face. In other words, when Jesus is around and things are put right, that's when perfection will be here when Jesus gathers them all up. So, I don't believe the perfection is here. So, I don't believe the gifts have actually ceased. That's for you to take on. I just want to finish reading this because that's all I want to do. I read at verse 7 again. Now, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, the ability to speak in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit and he gives them to each man just as he determines. I just want to leave that word with us this morning. Authentic church. Spiritual gifts are valueless without love which is what Paul teaches how we should use them. But it's just that we might ask, you know, for the Holy Spirit and expect we shall receive gifts from him. Expect to be doing things that will bless others outside the context of normality. The phrase has been used more than once here and that is it might be naturally supernatural. Naturally supernatural supernatural because that's how God intends us to be. I just want to read say two things. I had the option of speaking two things this morning. I'm not going to tell you what the other one was or else I might start preaching it. But I had two things and I just asked, I talked about this passage 1 Corinthians 12 following on from last week and I said Lord because I believe in spiritual direction and and leading. I said, Lord, would you just confirm to me what what passage I should read this morning and and what we should look at 
for the church. And so I was looking through another book, and uh, the book's called Christ in the Scriptures. Christ in all the Scriptures, sorry. And I was looking, looking at the pas- what it said on Joel, because Peter refers to this uh, passage in Joel about in the last days God will pour out his Holy Spirit. And I opened this, and this is this 1961 London Convention, just a few speakers there, and some of them wouldn't have explained it in the way that I have this morning, they would avoid it like a barge pole. But there the first, first thing they were going to speak about was 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it was just in the page I was looking at in another book. And so I just thank God for that. So if you didn't like it or agree with what I said this morning, there we go. I just want to read this to you about John Wimber. take a few minutes. The evangelist John Wimber is on record as saying we've had numerous occasions where God has revealed sins of people either through a word of knowledge or a combination of that and a word of wisdom or prophecy he gives the following example. He was once on an aeroplane when he turned and looked at a passenger across the aisle and saw the word adultery written over his face in large letters. The letters were, of course, only perceptible to the spiritual eye. The man caught Wimber staring at him and said, What do you want? And just as he was asking that, a woman's name came clearly into Wimber's mind. And he replied by inquiring of his other passenger if that name meant anything to him. The man's face paled and he suggested they should talk in some other place. It was a large place, sorry, large plane with a bar, so they went to talk there. On the way, the Lord spoke to Wimber again, saying, Tell him to turn from his adulterous affair, or I'm going to take him. And when they got to the bar, Wimber told him that God had revealed that he was committing adultery with the woman whose name he had first mentioned, and that God would take him if he did not repent. In tears, the man asked what he should do. And he repented and received Christ in front of the stewardess and two other passengers at the bar. And when he mentioned that the passenger in the seat beside him was his wife, Wimber suggested that the man should tell her the entire story, which he did. The man was then able to lead his wife to Christ. It's just a simple story of how the special the supernatural can be used in bringing people to know Jesus Christ as Saviour. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. The Bible tells us that you gave gifts, you give gifts to men. We thank you for this opportunity just to reflect, Lord, on what Paul said to the Corinthian church. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. And Lord, we don't want to be in that place this morning even if it's through disinclination or not understanding what it's all about, I pray that you will bring us to the place of understanding and bring us to the place of acceptance, bring us to the place that we might just know what the Spirit is saying to us in this day. And Lord, we're just ready to receive what your Holy Spirit gives to us so that we might be more effective and more personal and friendly in this world in which we live, that people's lives might be changed and blessed For your glory, Lord, we pray. Amen.
If you would like to be prayed with and you feel you just wanted to firm up with asking for more of God's Spirit, then please come and we'll pray with you. Thank you. Tea and coffee, etc.